if you have a Bible, find John chapter 14. Today, in an effort to stay on target of finishing our study through the Gospel of John before the end of the semester, we're going to think through the whole chapter of John 14 this morning. But what a rich and encouraging chapter it is. We're still in the upper room discourse, the very night that Jesus would be betrayed by Judas and arrested and going to the cross the next day. And also with this chapter, we're coming to the sixth of the seven I am statements in Jesus from Jesus in this gospel with just one more to go, which we're going to find in the next chapter, the very beginning of chapter 15. And the, probably the I am statement that we find in chapter 14, I'd be willing to bet, is the most well-known of all the seven in the sense that if you asked any believer pretty much who is familiar with their Bible to name the first I am statement that comes to their mind, they would probably say more times than not, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. Um, when we've come to the other I am statements before, if you've been with us through this gospel, you know uh, we've, we've sort of put everything else on pause and given exclusive attention to the particular I am statement at, at hand. And so when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, or I am the light of the world, or um, I am the good shepherd, we, we almost, we didn't ignore the rest of the chapter, but we gave a lot of heavy attention on that particular phrase, because at least on those, bread and light and shepherds, they're heavy with Old Testament uh, underpinnings. And so we would camp out on that singular phrase and, and get all the richness out of it by itself. Uh, when we came to John 11 and Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, we did pan out and think about the rest of the chapter because it's in the context of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And so that whole chapter fleshes out the meaning of that I am statement. And we have uh, sort of a similar thing going on here in chapter 14 because what Jesus will say in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. The meaning of that um, is, is it, it, it's going to find its, its richest explanation, its richest elaboration in what he says in the rest of the chapter. And we would miss so much if we just looked at that one verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But what I would like to do is use what Jesus says there, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I would like to use, take what he does there, says there and use it as a framework to understand the rest of the chapter. Um, and through that, I want us to think about this theme, life in Christ, life in the Spirit. Life in Christ, life in the Spirit. This, this chapter has a lot to teach us about that. In fact, this whole upper room discourse does. Life in Christ, life in the Spirit. So that being said, let's read our passage together. Again, we're in John 14, and we'll read and look at the whole chapter. So if you found that place in your Bible, follow along with me as I read aloud, beginning in verse 1. Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way 
to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me, whoever has seen me, has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Let's pray. Oh Lord, this is your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. And we ask your help as we study it this morning. Lord, would you please give us eyes to see the truth, truth about Jesus, truth about you, truth about your word. Give us eyes to see the truth. Give us minds to understand it. Please, would you give us hearts to embrace this truth? Would you give us wills to obey whatever it is you call us to do here? Would you give me the help that I need to teach? Would you give us all ears to hear? I ask in Jesus' name, amen. 
So maybe as I read the passage, you could see why I said the theme I want us to consider this morning is life in Christ and life in the Spirit. Because not only does Jesus say of himself in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, but beginning close to halfway through the chapter, Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit into what he's saying and the role that the Holy Spirit would play in the lives of, of believers and those who follow him uh, after he is gone and they follow Christ after he is gone. So does any of that, the question I had to ask is, does any of that, all that stuff about the Holy Spirit, does that have anything to do uh, with what Jesus says in verse 6? Like, what is, is when, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, does that, does that, how is that connected to all that stuff that he says about the Holy Spirit? That's the burden of, and I think that it, it does relate to each other. And like I said, we're going to look at the whole chapter. There's more in this chapter than we're going to be able to bring out this morning. But we'll look at the whole chapter and uh, in light of what he says in verse 6 and, and by that hopefully come to a fuller understanding of what he's saying uh, when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So here's the layout if you're taking notes. In verses 1 through 11, verses 1 through 11, I want us to see and think about Jesus as the way. Jesus as the way. Clearly what he says in verse 6 will be the centerpiece of that section. And here we'll think about what Jesus means when he says he is the way. And he explains, and we'll see that, he explains uh, who he is and what he will do to bring about this truth that he is the way, to provide the way. So that's point number one. And then we'll hop to the other end of the chapter uh, next, verses 25 to, to the end of the chapter, verse 31, to consider Jesus as the truth. Uh, but it's here in this point and also the next point, the, the last one, that, that, that the Holy Spirit enters the discussion. What does what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit here add to our understanding of Jesus as the truth? Okay, uh, That's the question we want to answer. And then finally, we'll come back to the middle of the chapter, verses 12 to 24, and uh, consider Jesus as the life. And again, what Jesus says here also uh, in involves the Holy Spirit. And, and by that, we understand that when Jesus says he is the life, we, he means more than just the promise of eternal life after we die, um, but also something to do with the life of following Christ here and now. Okay. So as we consider life in Christ, life in the Spirit, let's think about first Jesus as the way, highlighted in verses 1 through 11. So the passage begins beautifully with Jesus telling his disciples in verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now walk with me in the weeds for just a little bit. There's a translation ambiguity here, okay? And it's, it's important to see. I don't always bring these out, but it's important for this. Because it appears, that if you're just reading verse 1 in your, in your English Bible, it, it, it appears at first glance that, glance that he's urging his disciples to believe in him, right? It, the ambiguity is this. Is what Jesus says in verse 1, is it a command or is he simply making a statement? Because in Greek, they both look exactly the same. It could be, it could be either one. So uh, instead of believe in God, believe also in me. Instead of, instead, that would be a command, right? It could be just as well, you believe in God. You believe also in me. 
It could be either one. And in the context, I think that second one, not a command. I mean, it would be funny to be talking to faithful Jews and somehow feel like you needed to tell them to believe in God, right? So I think it's more of a statement than, than a command. And I think he's, in, he's doing this to encourage them. You believe in God. You believe also in me. Don't let your heart be troubled, right? And, and, and I think that that's the case, in, especially in light of what just came before this. Sometimes, like I said last week, chapter divisions are in unfortunate places sometimes. So what just happened? The words right before this, Jesus was, was uh, issuing a sobering prophetic word to Peter that this very night he was going to deny him three times before the rooster crows. And it's immediately in light of that sobering prophetic word to Peter that Jesus immediately offers this encouragement to them, Peter especially. It's as if he's saying to Peter, I know you're going to deny me three times this very night, but I know you believe in God and you also believe in me. Don't let your heart be troubled. Even though when Peter wept bitterly upon that denial, that threefold denial, he did not fall away. And in one other words, this is, I see this as Jesus telling Peter, I know you're not Judas. Right? So, so Jesus offers Peter and the rest of them this encouragement, and then he reminds them in verse 6 of the basis of this encouragement. They believe in him, and he is the way. Right? You believe in me, uh, don't let your heart be troubled, and you don't have to let your heart be troubled because I am the way, and that should give you hope. But in these early verses, Jesus doesn't just say, I am the way, and just leave it at that, right? Just take my word for it. I'm the way. No, he reminds them, too, in these early verses, why they can trust him as the way and what that even means. Um, and he, namely, he does it, in this way, he reminds them of who he is and what he's about to do, which is telling them ahead of time also, according to verse 29, uh, telling them ahead of time so that they would believe. Jesus is the way because of, he says first, what he's about to do. He says in verse 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Now, what does he mean by that? What does he mean when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you? In the context, he's talking about the cross because already, we're in chapter 14, already in chapter 12, the corner had turned. All the way up to that point, Jesus had said, my hour is not yet here. My hour is not yet here. My hour is not yet here. And now in chapter 12, the hour has come. The hour is here for the Son of Man to be glorified. And when, when the Son of Man is lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. He's already foreshadowing the cross. So the context of this stage in, in John is we already know Jesus is going to the cross. And so when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, where is he going? He's going to the cross. That's where he's going. The hour has come. He's referring to the work of atonement that he's about to make on the cross. He's not going to build you a room in heaven. He's going to a cross to provide your place in heaven. That's what he's doing. Jesus is the way because he alone provides for sinners and can provide for sinners the ability to stand before a holy God forgiven and righteous in his sight. 
here's the question we also should ask because it's it's a it's a pertinent one and it's important how can jesus be so sure how can jesus be so sure that what he is about to do on the cross will be an acceptable sacrifice for sinners how can jesus be so sure and the answer and that's a question that is sort of raised in this very uh in this very chapter because thomas asks a question and philip asks a question and in answer to thomas and philip jesus tells them and the rest of the disciples that if they have seen him they have seen the father in other words how can we be so sure of that what jesus does on the cross is acceptable because of who he is because of who he is he says if you've seen me you have seen the father he says it twice when Jesus says that, when he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, when Jesus says that, he isn't saying he is the Father. Um, how do we know that? Because he says in verse 10, if you're looking at it, he says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And he repeats that same phrase again in verse 11. And then in verse 12, he says, I'm going to the Father. So there is some distinction between Father and Son and yet still the way that Jesus can say, when you see me, you've seen the Father. Both are true. He isn't the Father, but he is one God with the Father. And just to anticipate the rest of the chapter, with the Holy Spirit. Three persons in one God. Another, and another way, by the way, to, to see the deity of Jesus in this passage we're going to stray away from the first 11 verses here for just a second. It's how he speaks of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Look with me just carefully. Look at verse 16, by the way. And in verse 16, when he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, he, he describes the coming of the Holy Spirit in this way. I will ask the Father, and he, the Father, will give you another helper. The Holy Spirit, even the Spirit of truth. So who the Father will give the Holy Spirit, right? In verse 16. Jesus will ask, and the Father will give the Holy Spirit. Again, later in verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So who's sending the Father? Um, who's sending the Spirit? The Father is, right? In verse 16 and in verse 26. But look in the next chapter at verse 26. Verse, chapter 15, verse 26. Jesus there says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. The spirit of truth. Okay, so um, who sends the spirit? The, the son or the father? Absolutely. They both send the spirit. So when Jesus says, back in the early part of John 14, that he is going to prepare a place, he knows that his atoning sacrifice coming on the cross for sinners will be acceptable to God because He is one God with the Father and it is His own wrath against sin that is being satisfied as much as it is the Father's. We need to think about that because we sing songs that might lead us to miss that. I know the song says, The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. And that's not wrong. I'm not saying we should stop singing that. It's not wrong. It's just incomplete. 
It's just incomplete. It wasn't just the Father's wrath that needed to be satisfied. It was the wrath of God that needed to be satisfied. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus, in this sense, when he's talking about the cross and what he would do on the cross, he was bearing his own wrath on the cross. And so he can be sure that he is preparing a place for his people for that reason. Jesus is the way because he is the only God. One with the Father and the Holy Spirit to whom we are accountable, and so he alone is able to provide the way of forgiveness and eternal life. When you come to Jesus in repentance and faith, you are coming to, to a place of absolute assurance of forgiveness because he alone knows the requirement to assuage his own wrath against sin. And he alone provided it. Jesus is the way. But as Jesus sat with his disciples uh, on this final night of instruction, he, he didn't just have these, he knew it was about to get hard for them. He was about to leave. So his first words to them were words of encouragement. You believe in God, you believe in me, here's why that's a good thing, right? I'm the way, and you know me. But he also wanted to leave them with words of preparation and commission for when he was gone. And so in addition to reminding them that he is the way, he also reminded them that he is the truth. I am the way and the truth. And there's a way of thinking about that, I am the way and the truth and the life. There's a way of thinking about way and the truth, and truth mean nothing more than what has already been said, right? He is the way, and that's the truth, right? And I believe that there's more to it than that. Um, according to what else he says in this chapter, let's think through that. Jesus is the truth. It seems clearly the case that Jesus means more by the truth, I am the truth, because so much of this chapter, what he says out of his own mouth, is about the Holy Spirit. Um, and the role that the Holy Spirit will play in the life of believers. And as it turns out, um, what Jesus, I think, what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit near the end of the chapter is the key to understanding this. For one thing, by the way, in verse 17, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit in this chapter as the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth. Um... And so right there you have the link between Jesus as the truth and the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. But what specifically about the work of the Holy Spirit? Look at what he says about the Holy Spirit beginning in verse 25. These things I have spoken to, to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Now, it might be tempting. It might be tempting in your own personal Bible study in your quiet time in the morning to read that verse and understand it as a promise made to you that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all that Jesus has said, all that you need to know. And I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't give us insight and help us to understand 
And I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit can't bring things to our remembrance. I just don't think that's where Jesus was aiming this statement. Because if, if what he says in verse 25 is directly ad, directed to me and to you, that can have dangerous consequences. It opens the door to someone just relying on an impression by the Holy Spirit, and you have a bunch of God told me to's, right? Relying on an impression from the Holy Spirit to know what God is saying or to know the will of God. And you're sure of it because, hey, John 14, 25 says, Holy Spirit's going to teach me all things. It's in reply to this way of thinking that J.I. Packer, read J.I. Packer, was wise to say, and listen to this carefully, this is what J.I. Packer said, if private revelations agree with Scripture, they are unnecessary. And if they disagree, they are false. <laughs> All right? So just marinate in that one. If private revelations agree with Scripture, they're unnecessary. And if they disagree, they are false. He's exactly right. So it raises the question, is that what Jesus was promising in verse 25? No. He was looking at the apostles. Those who would be the authoritative bearers of the gospel message and the teachers of Christian doctrine and laying the foundation, the, 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 the foundation of the apostles and prophets, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 2. Teachers of Christian doctrine, these are the ones who set forth the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. They would be the ones who would pen the scriptures that we now have which is the repository of that faith once for all delivered. And it was to them that Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would teach them all things and bring to their remembrance to recall the teachings of Jesus such that John, an old man, decades removed from the life of Jesus, could still pen this gospel and recall what Jesus said. Write the New Testament. In the same way in chapter 15, in verse uh, 26 and 27. We already looked at that uh, for a moment, but look there again. Chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you, disciples, will also bear witness because you, how do you know it's disciples? Because he tells them, you've been with me from the beginning. That's who he's talking to. The people who had been with him from the beginning. Who was that? The, the disciples, the apostles. He will bear witness to them and they will bear witness. That's a word clearly to the apostles. And the promise was clearly the Holy Spirit will bear witness to them and as a result, they would bear witness. He'll repeat this promise again to them in the next chapter, in chapter 16. Turn over there quickly. And this is what he says in verses 12 to 15. Jesus tells his disciples there, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth, there's that phrase again, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit of truth would guide the apostles into all truth, and he would declare to them the things that are to come, so that John could write Revelation. And before we leave this John 16 passage, what is the focal point of all this truth that the Holy Spirit will guide the apostles into? The focal point is Jesus. Verse 14 again. He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, Jesus. So the focal point of all Scripture, the Spirit-inspired, is Jesus. So if you ever hear somebody talking about this Spirit told me this or said that, um, if it doesn't have to do with Jesus, it ain't true. So when, back to John 14, when Jesus says, I am the truth, he is exactly right. But that truth in Christ is located for us in the Scriptures, given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is how we know Jesus, who is the truth. It is in the Scriptures that we find the apostles' bearing witness to the truth about Jesus, taught to them and brought to their remembrance by the Holy Spirit. That is where we find the words of Christ, the will of Christ for us now and forever. Hence, the, the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is, first of all, to ground us in the Scriptures. The parallel passage to this idea, or to what the parallel passage to what Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. The parallel passage to that Ephesians 5.18 passage is what he says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do you, how do you go about obeying? If it's a command, be filled with the Spirit. How do you obey that command? Do you just pray and wait? Wait for a feeling? If, it, if, if be filled with the Spirit is a command that you are to obey, how do you obey it? How do you wake up on Tuesday and say, okay, I'm going to do it? He tells you, you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And as you let the Spirit's words dwell in you, He dwells in you to mold your thoughts and mold your ways. When we let the Spirit-inspired words of the apostles dwell in us richly. It is the word of Christ dwelling, you rich, dwelling in us richly, the truth of Christ dwelling in us richly. Simply to say Jesus is the truth doesn't mean very much unless that truth is given content and, 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 it, and it's spelled out for us. And we find that content in the scripture. Simply put, in the gospels for example, we have Jesus revealed, and in the rest of it, we have Jesus explained. All given by inspiration of the Spirit of truth. But to what end did Jesus equip the apostles with the Spirit to record his word and his will? Because as he said, not only is he the way and the truth, as he told them here in John 14, but he's also the life. And again, there is a way that you can take that to mean no more than has already been said. Jesus is the way of salvation. His message is the truth of salvation, and salvation is eternal life. 
three ways of saying the same thing. It's all true, of course. But I believe in, this, in the context of this chapter, when Jesus says he is the life, he means more than eternal life hereafter. He doesn't mean less than that, but he does mean more than that. He means life for us to live in him now. So let's consider that for a moment. This seems to be pretty intuitive, actually, if you carefully consider what he says in this chapter. And I, I urge you often, when you're reading a, the Bible for yourself, Look for and notice repeated words, repeated phrases, repeated ideas, because that's what the author of the Scripture wants you to see. And when you do that here, it, it seems pretty clear that he's not just talking about eternal life hereafter, but he's talking about the works we do now and keeping his commandments now. Because look at the emphasis given to that in this chapter. He says in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He says in verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me, conversely, does not keep my words. So Jesus is very keen to communicate to his disciples and through them to us, since it's through the Spirit-inspired words of John that we read this, that we have the truth of Jesus so that in our own lives we will live the truth of Jesus. He is the life, and His life is to be replicated in us as His people who bear His name while we live. But taken in isolation, I'll just be honest, if I... Maybe it's just me, and you can have pity on me. But when I, when I read verses like that in isolation, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Do you hear me? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you don't keep my commandments, you don't love me. I, taking in, those, those words can be kind of daunting, kind of potentially defeating. Because we, we read those, I read those, and I immediately think of all the times that I don't keep his commandments. So does that mean I don't love him? I mean, if it's up to me to keep his commandments to prove my love for him, I'm not sure how good a job I'm doing. But if we read what Jesus says here a little more carefully, we see another dynamic also present. And here again, that other dynamic is the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer um, and the follower of Christ. Not only is he present with his disciples to write the scriptures, he is present with every believer to empower us to walk and to live according to the scriptures and form the life of Christ in us, which includes, by the way, repentance when we stumble. And as soon as Jesus in verse 15 uh, says that we, we love him, if you're looking at your Bible, as soon as he says in verse 15, if, we love you, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. As soon as he says that, he immediately tells them in verse 16 that he is sending a helper, the Holy Spirit. And what will, what will the Holy Spirit do? Be with you forever. What a beautiful truth. Just be with you. Just be with you. At the end of verse 17, 
He says of the Holy Spirit, He dwells with you and will be in you. I think that's pointing to what would happen at Pentecost. The Spirit is both with us and in us. So much so that Jesus can even say in verse 18 that even though He is physically leaving, He isn't leaving us as orphans. No, His presence will continue with us through the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting that in this chapter, if you see Christ, you see the Father. And if you have the Spirit, you have Christ. One God, three persons. But you see the pattern. For every imperative, keep my commandments, there's an indicative upholding it. I will be with you and in you. I will not leave you as orphans. That's the promise of the new covenant in Ezekiel 36 when God promised that he would send his Holy Spirit and cause you to walk in my ways. Yes, we will fall. Don't forget the context of this chapter. Peter's about to fall big time. But he won't let us fall away. That's what he's saying. That's exactly, by the way, how Jesus' half-brother Jude understood these things. In that tiny little letter by him right before Revelation, Jude gives this command in Jude verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Doggone. That's scary. How do I know? How do I know if I've kept myself in the love of God? How do I know if I've done enough? How do I know if I've messed up few enough times? How do I keep myself in the love of God? That's scary. But as soon as those kinds of thoughts go through your mind, Jude knows you're thinking it, and he writes, here's how he ends that letter just a few verses later. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Wake up every day and work hard to walk in obedience to Christ. But as you do that, know that he is able to keep you from stumbling and he won't let you fall away. He's already said that in John chapter 10. And notice the promise he gives to those who do, in John 14, gives those who do walk in obedience. He says in verse 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Sweet. Verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. What a beautiful promise. What is he saying? He is saying, I think, as we walk in obedience to him, we will sense in deeper and richer ways his presence and his blessing and his smile. I think it's exactly what the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. So if you don't mind, flip over here at the end to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3. 
This is one of those great prayers of the Bible that's good to pray for other people. Here's, here's what Paul prays in Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Just follow the flow of thought in that prayer. He prays first, in verse 16, that they would have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in their inner being. Verse 17, so that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith, that that would overflow into their obedient actions, that they would be rooted and grounded in love. And as they, as, as they are walking in obedience and love toward God and one another, that is when, in verse 18, they have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the height and length and what the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Be filled with all the fullness of God. When it is, it is, it is when we walk in obedience and love empowered by the Holy Spirit through faith in his word, walking in obedience, even repenting when we stumble, that's obedience. It's in and through that that we come to a greater comprehension and knowledge of the love of Christ for us. He comes and makes our, his home with us. <laughs> Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And as, as we know salvation through the way he made for us, he gives us his truth in the Spirit-inspired Scriptures to root and ground ourselves in that so that as His life is reproduced in us through our obedience, we know His presence and blessing with us more and more. That's precisely what the disciples would have wanted to hear on that night. And it's no less true for us today. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would uh, take this word and, and multiply it. Would you... Help us to forget anything that I may have said that wasn't true. And help us remember all the things that, that were. Would you encourage us by this word and would you challenge us by this word? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.